Beloved brothers, sisters, would you open your copy of God's word to uh, the epistle of the Romans? Once again to Romans as we have been looking uh, the past month and a half or so. This, uh, this gospel epistle, um, the reason we chose Romans, I chose Romans is because our, our call, our yearning in the Lord is that we would be a people that are driven by, compelled by, defined by the gospel of Christ. That is our first and uh, great mission. What we've been seeing so far, brethren, I know we've heard a great deal about Paul and his separation to the gospel of Jesus Christ and ours, as has been told, as saints separated to the gospel called. We, we have heard about Paul's yearning uh, to see the Roman brethren, to be among them, to be encouraged mutually with them, to edify them, impart to them a gift, and to, through them, to go forth from them with their blessing, support, and prayer. Beyond them, as we're going to see in chapter 15, all the way to Spain, to the barbarians even, not just to the civilized Greeks with whom Paul had been worked, working, serving, and bringing churches, but all the way to the barbarian hordes and the farthest ends of the known world, because as Paul said, his commission was to the Gentiles and to all of them, <laughs> uh, wise and unwise, slave and free, Jew or Gentile barbarians. He was a bond slave, literally. He was a servant of the gospel, a bond servant to them. Uh, but what I want us to see in all this, brethren, it, is to see what this tells us about the God of the gospel. We're told back in verse 1 of this epistle, one, one that separated to the gospel of God. It's the gospel which is from God, and it's the gospel which is through God and to God, as Romans 11.36 says. And it's the gospel that is fundamentally about God himself. God himself is the good news. Reconciliation with and restoration to God is the good news. That is, our chief and highest glory and end is to be restored and to walk in reconciliation, to walk in peace and blessing and flourishing, knowing the living God and being known by Him. And so, brethren, the gospel of God, is, is, is this is the chief and highest thing. This is what He's been telling us. So today, I'm just going to focus on verse 16. Um, I'm going to read together. If you would stand, let's read together. I'll read verses 14 through 17. We're going to focus on verse 16 today again. Hear the word of the Lord. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, take this word and increase our faith. We who have been made just who have been justified by the righteousness of Christ imputed to us 
by faith alone, apart from works, and imparted in union with Jesus, who is our righteousness. Father, may it be that we would live by faith in the obedience of faith. Help us to that end, we pray through this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, brethren. Well, this is Palm Sunday. We've said this, and uh, as we heard earlier, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the people cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as Jesus rode towards Jerusalem. That word in the, in the Greek, Hosanna, is often translated uh, literally under the idea of please save us. You see it when we, I've seen version of please save us. The actual Greek word Hosanna um, that most scholars believe is the transliteration of the Hebrew uh, word yasha. It actually simply means in Hebrew to save or to deliver. And the idea by taking yasha and the ana, the Hebrew together with it, yasha ana, literally has the idea of please, we beseech you to save. So it's an, it's, it's an imploratory. Please save us, deliver us. Many scholars believe the Hebrew roots sometimes may come from a different verb. Again, yashua, which is similar, which means to cause or to bring about salvation. So either way, the sense is very clear. Hosanna has the idea of, oh Lord, save and deliver us. So they're praying to Jesus. Lord, our Savior, our King, come and deliver us. Bring about and cause our salvation. Certainly, for so many of them, the first level of salvation that they were concerned about was deliverance from the tyranny of the Romans. The tyranny and the oppression under which they were living. And certainly, we in our day, though maybe not to the degree as many of our brethren in third world and the rest of the world. um, But nevertheless, we are increasingly understanding uh, and crying out, Lord, deliver us from that kind of tyranny. Lord, deliver us from the wicked who oppress and rule over us in ungodly ways, who inhibit our freedom to worship you according to our consciences and impose wicked, unjust, ungodly laws. We understand that kind of deliverance. Paul did too. But brother, today, sisters, today I want us to focus as we look at verse 16, really the last part of verse 16, the, the latter part, about the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Because what we're going to see, and this is what the church in the first century saw, is that before there would be salvation from the oppressive Roman tyrants, from the, gover- the, the salvation from the visible realm, there needed to be a deliverance from the tyranny and the bondage to sin, from the love of evil in their own hearts, a a, a transfer to the kingdom of heaven where their citizenship would be and allegiance to Christ the King in truth. So today I want to focus really fundamentally just on this salvation that God accomplishes by His power. As Paul says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone literally who is believing. That's the sense. For everyone who is believing, present tense, continual, Everyone who is believing it is the power of God unto salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We will probably today, I'll probably look one more sermon maybe next week at verse 17 then about how this comes about through the righteousness of God. But today we're going to focus on verse 16. And what I want you to see is that when the power of God to save from sin and its attendant miseries is working effectually within His church, within His saints, by their believing and therefore living out His gospel, the gospel of Christ as Paul calls it here in words and works, the fruit of that, the power of God will bring forth fruit, and that fruit will be God's grace, His peace, His blessing abiding on us, driving forward fruitful outreach to see saints sanctified, sinners saved, and the kingdom expanded. Romans 14, verse 17, Paul says there that the kingdom of God is not in word but it's righteousness, it's, power, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Brethren, that's what we long to see in the church and through the world. And that is what the power of God through believing the gospel continually brings about. So let's look at that today. Number one, I just want to really two key points today. The first about the gospel being God's power unto salvation. The second one about that power unto salvation being for everyone who is believing. So let's just consider these two things together. Number one, the gospel is God's power. Paul says here, it is the power for salvation. But when we say salvation, again, we need to define that term. We hear people all the time saying, are you saved? Well, what do you mean by that? Saved from what? Saved to what, right? I'm going to give a, a longer definition here. I'm not asking you to remember all this, but... I'm going to kind of break this down. Salvation really is the past, present, and final victory, triumph of the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, in bringing God's believing people to eternal blessing and blessedness in God. By the exercise of God's glorious power, mediated through the grace of God, sustained and directed by faith in God, working through the love of God to the glory of God. From beginning to end, it's God saving by the power of His grace, working through the word heard, believed, faith coming through hearing, hearing by the word of God. The power of, God's, of God Himself working in His grace and His favor towards His people, His believing ones, stimulating, directing their faith toward Him to trust Him and in trusting to obey Him, and in obeying Him to be blessed by Him and fruitful in Him, so that the nations may be glad, as we read back in, chapter, in verse 5, unto the obedience of faith among all nations for the glory for His name's sake. So that's the salvation. It involves both conversion to Christ, salvation involves our conversion, but it also involves dominion. It's Salvation beginning to end. It's conversion to, to wholehearted yieldedness to Jesus as Lord, receiving Him as the Savior from sin, both from the power of it and the penalty of it. But in that, then, through Him, over time, it's Him delivering and saving us, not just from the sin, sin within us, but from its attendant miseries in ourselves, in our homes, in our households, in the world. This is all part of the salvation that the Lord is bringing about among all nations for His name's sake. 
and it's a glorious and, uh, thing. Let me ask, you may have heard in that definition I gave you earlier, that salvation is past, present, and, and future. Now, I want to be very clear, brethren. It's not a process. Salvation is not, it's not something where it's like, well, I am, I am uh, not sure whether I am among the saved. There's a very real sense, as we'll see, which is definitive. It's a present reality. But that present reality has an ongoing aspect where it continues to work and ultimately yields final deliverance at, at, at the Lord's wrath. If you flip, a home, flip ahead to chapter 5, I want to show you how this works. This is one clear example. There's several in the Epistle to Romans where we're going to see about this salvation in three tenses, past, present, and future. Start with verse 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul here is going to say, he says, For a while, when we were still without strength, past tense, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's a historical act. Jesus died to save his people, and he did it 2,000 plus years ago as a historical reality. We look on that. The tr- changing of the ages, definitive to when we were without strength, Jesus died for us, for his ungodly, for the ungodly, for the late. For scarcely for a righteous one will one die, yet perhaps for a good one someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward, love toward us, and that while past tense we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He procured our salvation on the cross. He died for his sheep. Salvation past tense and definitive. But it also has a present aspect. Look at verses 1 through 5 of of chapter 5. Therefore, having been, again past tense, having been justified by faith. Again, that's something you can take to the bank. It's I have been justified. I am assured we have present tense peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have present tense access by faith into this grace in which literally we are standing. And we are rejoicing. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast, literally we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Brethren, what Paul is describing there is the present outworking of that salvation that Jesus purchased. You were saved when Jesus purchased your salvation on that cross. He died for your sins. In God's eternal book, it was marked down as done, as good as done. And yet, it works out effectually in our lives as it's applied to us through the Holy Spirit, working in us through His grace, His peace, which He gives to us right now. He keeps in us. And that peace is such and that grace is such that it causes us to boast in the cross of Jesus and to boast even in our tribulations because we know that we are being saved and all of our tribulations are being turned for good to work character in us. And that character works hope and faith. And that hope and that faith yields into the love of God poured into our hearts. It's present tense working out of salvation, working in us to will and to do according to His pleasure. But it also has a future aspect. Look down at verses 9 and 10. Paul says there, you know, if while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9 then, future. Much more than having now, so there's past tense, having now been justified by His blood. So there's your past tense salvation and present. We have that as a present possession. We shall be saved from wrath, future. 
through him. For if when we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, past tense, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you see it? Brethren, you will be saved from the wrath of God on the last day because you have been saved from his wrath, present tense. You are in a state of peace and grace with him. You are not under condemnation but under blessing from the Lord. And you're that way now because Jesus 2,000 years ago objectively saved you from the wrath of God and gave that to you, brethren. Salvation in three tenses. One salvation. I want to be clear. This is a salvation as we're going to see as we go through Romans which comes by imputed imputed uh, righteousness apart from works, right? Received by faith, which God himself gives and sustains. It's imputed to you that Jesus is your legal covering against the guilt of sin, the just condemnation. But it's also a salvation that works out, brethren, through the imparting of Jesus, Christ in you. That's Romans 6. How shall we that died to sin living in it? Do you not know that you were united to Christ? It's Christ's righteousness, Christ the righteous one in you, working in you to will and to do, so that the good works, which must be there, are not your works, but they're Christ working in you. Because see, brothers and sisters, the only righteousness that ever pleases God is Jesus' righteousness. Past, present, future. His righteousness in your place on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. His righteousness in you, working in and through you to will and to do. It's Christ in you not your righteousness, it's Jesus' righteousness. And in the future on the last day, when we stand before that great throne of the Lord, it is not going to be an appeal to my righteousness. Oh Lord, let me into heaven because of my righteousness. It will be Jesus' righteousness beginning to end. Christ is all in all, brethren. That is the gospel of Christ. That is the good news of Jesus. Brethren, anything other than that, let me tell you, is not good news. Anything other than that is not good news for modern man. It is bad news for modern man. <laughs> it is ugly news. That's why we reject rightly, you know, the Roman Catholic idea of infused grace. You know, as if God pours righteousness and grace into me, uh, you know, and infuses it to where it works with my, my flesh, uh, my own human righteousness, and it's just some sort of mixture where we present on the last day my righteousness and Jesus' righteousness and maybe the sum total of those things earns God's blessing into heaven. If not, we end up in purgatory. Brethren, no infused righteousness. Okay? We, 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 the, the gospel that we're going to see is one that has no place for that. It also has... Um, it's not in any way either infused. It's not something, like I said, where it's ever added. It's not us plus Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. Beginning to end. He saves to the uttermost, as we read in Hebrews earlier. So rejoice in salvation in three tenses. Let's consider also, save from what and to what? Let's give you some thoughts here. As we'll, see, we'll see these develop further in Romans as we go along. Obviously, we said we're saved from God's just wrath, the condemnation and curse on sin and sinners. And we're saved into a state of peace and grace. We just read that uh, in Romans 5, 9, how we're, we will be saved. Look at Romans 1, 18, though. It's just, we're going to get there in a couple weeks. But what are we saved from? Well, here you go. For the wrath of God is revealed 
from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Brethren, we are saved from the righteous wrath of God who justly reveals his holy hatred and, and anger against men who, know, who knowingly suppress righteousness and godliness in their unbelief. We're going to be saved from that. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. The apostle says there, uh, speaking of, he says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, speaking to them who were boasting among the, the people there at Rome, in accordance with your hardness, your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Lastly, look at chapter 8, verses 1. We know this, right? Therefore, there is no condemnation, there is no wrath to you who are in Christ Jesus. So you're saved from God's wrath and you're saved into God's peace. You're saved into His favor and His grace. I hope that's enough among us Presbyterians even, to get a holy hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Brethren, we're saved, saved from wrath and saved into grace upon grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read earlier in Ephesians, His intention is that in the ages to come, He would continue to pour out the riches of His grace and His kindness to us in Christ. We're saved from a guilty conscience, from shame, and we're saved into confidence before God and before man. Again, justification. We read in Romans 5, I won't go there again. Having been justified by faith, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom also we boast and uh, we count that as our glory. We have a clean conscience before the Lord. Our conscience does no longer condemn us because we know that our conscience is clean because Jesus has made us clean. We walk with Him in the light as He is in the light and His blood continually cleanses us from all sin. Brothers and sisters, we do not stand condemned. We don't have shame. If you're in Christ, you have no shame. You may be shamed by men. I assure you, you will be. You will be shamed by men. But as we said earlier, the thing is that there is no shame in the halls of Almighty God. Because he has said, as we read earlier in Hebrews, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, for he has made a place for them. Hebrews 11 says, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brethren, because they are all of one. Both the, he, who, he who came as the just one, he who is our redeemer came and he identified and took on our humanity and has become one of us. Here am I then, what is the fruit of that? Here am I in the fruit, here am I in the children whom you have given me. No shame. And so I will not be ashamed of him before the world who is not ashamed of me. I need to know that. You need to know that. We've been delivered, saved from bondage to sin also with all of its attendant miseries and vanities and fruitlessness. And we've been saved into liberty and obedience of faith by the Spirit. That's Romans 6 through 8. We'll get there. It's a salvation not only from the guilt of sin, but from the misery and bondage to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Why? Do you not know that as many of us as were united to Christ, you were baptized into Christ, that you were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him, dead to the old man, 
And we were raised in newness of life. Therefore, sin will not have dominion over you because you're not under law and its curse and its condemnation. It's weakness. You're under grace that transforms and powers to keep the law from a true heart because we love it, because we love the lawgiver, because he has made us just. That's how the gospel works, brethren. We don't actually get people and ourselves to be more obedient by preaching more law and crushing them with the law. It is holy and just and good, Romans 7 says. It is. And it is still the righteous standard of God. But brethren, you don't bring about the obedience of faith by saying, let me just pound the law into you. You bring about the obedience of faith by preaching the gospel of grace. And grace, grace, brethren, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus and the cross actually impels and empowers us. Far from being licentious, it impels and empowers us to be law keepers to be righteous as he is righteous. Brethren, the law can't do that. The gospel will do that. We need to have that. It saves us from fear of men and circumstances, fear of what may come or what has happened, fear of what people will say to us, and uh, and it saves us into courage and unshakable faith-fueled spirit-sustained joy in Jesus. Remember Romans 8. Again, I'm not going to go there, but remember where Paul's going with that. God's going to cause all things to work together for good to those who are the called according to His purpose, who are loved by Him. Those He foreknew, He, he, he uh, predestined to glory, and He justified, and, and He sanctified and glorified, right? That golden chain of salvation. And that's why Paul can therefore go and say, Who will separate us from the love of God? Things present, past, future any circumstances, any trial of men, yea, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Brethren, that is salvation. That is salvation from fear. That is salvation from circumstances. That is salvation that says, I've taken you out of that and I've brought you into a holy confidence and courage because you know that Jesus is for you and none can be against you. (coughs) Brethren, that's being saved from those things. Praise God. That's all part of the gospel. And it also saves the church from disunity, as I said, and introspection. And it saves us into unity and edification and outreach. Brethren, the leaven of the gospel in the congregation of Jesus makes us a gracious people. The gospel of grace, apart from works, it actually causes us to be gracious. And it gives us a holy, outward-looking way to say, as we have received grace, we are debtors, as we've seen in previous weeks. I'm debtors to Gentiles. I'm debtors to them to not withhold the grace I have received. Freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Give graciously of the gospel of Jesus. Give graciously of the good news about what Jesus has done for you and how he can and is glad and eager to save others as he saved you. Brethren, It just gives us a heart to do that. Churches that are not gospel-driven will invariably be introverted and inward. Churches that are driven by the gospel of Christ will have a holy outward face and say, God saves sinners. I was a sinner too. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. There's a lot of lost and blind people around, and oh God, they need to see and come in too. Brethren, it's getting a hold of the missionary heart of God. 
The gospel of God is the gospel of a God who has a myriad, Revelation 7, 9, a vast multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation. A vast multitude, literally myriads upon myriads in the Greek. I don't know about you, but I believe that when Abraham was promised that those stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore, when God promised Abraham that is his inheritance, kings, rulers, and all nations be saved. I personally believe that in the final tally, through the outworking of the grace of God through the gospel in his church, that we will find that there are far more, far more children, as I said, the children of the barren woman are far more than the children of the woman. We're going to find that the, the saints of Jesus... And the redemption of Jesus is far wider than many of us dared hope or even believe in our stinginess. Brethren, the gospel gives us a, a hope of the salvation. Jesus came, John 3.16, we know this verse, right? God loved the world in this way, literally, and that he sent his unique, his one-of-a-kind, monogamized son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But then the next verse, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That doesn't mean universalism. It's not universal atonement. But it is to say that every tribe, tongue, and nation, and within them a vast innumerable multitude, including our neighbors, that they would be saved. It doesn't. That's, that, I don't care how you parse John 3, 16 and 17. That is not universal election, but brethren, I will also tell you, that is a broad, liberal gospel of a God who is a missionary God looking to save the nations and the peoples of the world. That's the kind of salvation to which we're called. And ultimately, we're saved from death into eternal life. What a glorious thing. We're saved from death into eternal life. On the last day, entering into the fullness of the glory to which we were predestined as our inheritance, not only in heaven but on earth and the new renewed heavens on earth, ruling and reigning with Christ, judging the nations. Brethren, that's our inheritance. That is salvation come to its fruition. So when I tell you and we say, Jesus saves, I hope you see, brethren, that's way more than just Jesus cleanses your sins. Jesus saves to the uttermost beginning to end. You and your children and your children's children, that's how His grace works. And how does that salvation come? Point D, very simple, by God's power, given in sovereign grace and sustained, as we said earlier, by faith and hope, by His favor, His graciousness, kindness, goodness toward us, and His true unyielding love toward us. It's not based on merit, but it's on His freely and sovereignly bestowed favor of God toward us. But that grace, that grace he gives works through faith. God's grace isn't just some sort of magic where he zaps us. Rather, God's grace, his power working through his favor, the way it works in us is by creating and sustaining faith in us. The just will live from faith to faith, beginning to end. How do I know that the power of God is working in me unto salvation, brethren? By looking and saying, do I trust and obey him? Do I trust him? Am I casting everything on Jesus? That's God's power. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. God's power, no matter what he takes me through, how whether the highest hills or the lowest valleys, 
Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. He will save you and bring you to the celestial glory. Think back to Pilgrim's Progress. Right? He will save Christians indeed. And as we said, I'll just close with this today. I know we're running just a little behind, but... Brethren, the gospel is God's power for salvation, he says, to everyone who is believing. I'm not going to harbor on that. Just to say, brethren, Jew, Gentile, wise, unwise, right? Greeks, barbarians, neighbors, co-workers, even people like you and me. Brethren, do you see yourselves? Do you see yourselves as those who are, as it were, debtors of grace? To the people around you. Now, I know we're not all, you know, I say, Steve, I'm, I'm not an evangelist. I'm, I'm not calling you to. We've got different gifts, different callings. May God raise up Whitfields. May raise up evangelists. To, we want to have an evangelical spirit to go preach the gospel in the marketplace and open streets. But brethren, it's just an attitude and a demeanor saying, the people in my sphere, the, the other housewives that I get together with, the other ladies that I know, the people I work with, to say, am I eager in looking in earnestness for opportunity to testify of the hope that's within me? Are you looking for that, praying for it? Oh, Lord, I am your minister today at State Farm or at the car repair shop. I am your priest at Ace Hardware. I'm here representing the Lord Jesus and his salvation his kingdom here today. Lord, give me grace and opportunity to seize upon it with courage. To say, Lord, bring some, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I can't hold this hope in. I want to pray with an over people in my prayer closet for those people that you bring in. That, that's what we're talking about. Brethren, the gospel believed creates in us that because we have received much and to him who has been given much, much will be required. Brethren, Do you love the gospel of grace? Do you love the gospel of Christ? Brethren, that's the call today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that your gospel is powerful. Father, I admit and I confess before you and before my brethren here, I have so often given way in despair to, in my unbelief, to believing that the gospel does not have power to change. Father, if the gospel preached and spoken does not change, it's not because of a defect in the gospel. Father, we are asking that you will cause us in these coming weeks and months to be, have a holy boldness in our proclamation. Father, Jesus is for us. Who can be against us? Jesus owns all nations and all peoples. They are his by rights. And he said that, lo, I am with you always. He will go with us, whether in our workplace or in the streets, in the neighborhoods across. Jesus is with us, though unseen. The Spirit is with us. Father, I pray for myself first, but for my brethren as well. Lord, Sustain and create in us a holy boldness for your gospel because we are the people who have received grace. We are the people in Christ. Father, let the leaven of the gospel work in us that we would be very fruitful, full of joy, peace, gladness, unified in the Lord within ourselves and also with other brethren who love you from other local churches. 
Father, we want to be a gospel-driven, truly Christian people. Help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.